you'll turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 with us this morning. I want to introduce again this three-week mini-series called The Church Sings. It begins with the sermon titled, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death, based on the song that we just sang. Each week we have chosen a song to focus the theme on for the message. And I have to mention that we did uh, place an order for a screen to put here in the gym. If you've had trouble seeing any of the lyrics or the slides on the edges, if you move towards the center and look straight on, it makes it a little bit easier. Lord willing, we'll have uh, a new screen there sometime soon. Philippians chapter 1, which is the song's author's inspiration for writing that modern hymn. It was a song by Keith Getty, Matt Boswell, a guy named Jordan Coughlin, and two other Matts, Matt Merker and Matt Papa. Jordan Coughlin is a hymn songwriter. He's the son of Bob Coughlin with Sovereign Grace. He's a worship pastor at Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And Jordan brought this almost completed song to the director of creative resources and training at Getty Music, Matt Merker. And Matt Merker took the song and it had a focus on Christ and he really studied it well. And the lyrics were out of Philippians chapter 1. And he listened to the song and he thought how to edit it and rewrite the song. They brought it to Keith Getty. And he helped them write a chorus with an inspiring and a stirring melody. The five men, now joined by two other Christian modern singers and songwriters, Matt Papa and Matt Boswell, they all five went to Ireland, studied the passages in the song, and shaped it into this classical, folksy-sounding song. Matt Boswell at the time had the desire on his own to write a song, We Have Hope, or there is a hope, and I would focus on the truth that we have hope in life and death. So it began with the title of, What is Our Hope in Life and Death? And the team of five ended up merging the ideas to come out with, Christ our hope in life and death. They pointed to other verses for the lyrics, like 1 Corinthians 15, 20, I'll read it to you. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Pastor Scott just preached on that a few weeks ago in our study in 1 Corinthians. They also looked at Psalm 39, verse 7, which says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. We have the joy this morning of studying through Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Our outline, verse 18, in every way the church sings, 19 and 20, the work of the Trinity helps shape our focus in this life. Verses 21 through 24, what we live for shapes whose kingdom building we're seeking. And verses 25 and 26, as God's own emissary, we glory in Christ in word and deed. If you like to take notes, want to take a picture of the screen, kids in your summer reading journals, this is the big idea this morning. The only thing that can transform how we live each day and prepare for our earthly life to end is the truth that Christ has been raised from the dead and the church sings a hallelujah for the hope of the resurrection. See, singing has played a formative role in my life. Seeing my dad sing in church as a little kid meant a whole lot to me. It was a beautiful image. My dad was a large hulk of a man, six foot four, 
bigger and broader than me. I am the runt of all the boys of my family. His six size 16 red wing boots would plant him firmly in the sanctuary every Sunday where he gave his Savior the weight of his earthly trials. His hands were calloused and swollen from working with them all week with hammer on wood and steel. His bones and muscles were visibly aching, working from his trade so diligently. His heart, wrenching on the inside, seeing his family torn apart through divorce and his own shortcomings. His head was surely scattered, trying to determine what are the best ways to care for his two boys in person only two weekends a month and on Wednesday evenings for church. I would stand next to him as that little boy looking up, thinking, what hope did he have? What was he living for? How could he stand there in church every other week with no one by his side? Me, that little boy, now looking up at this giant of a man, I would reach out to his dry, cracked, working palms, and I'd hear in a small, still voice him singing. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. My dad's willingness to sing in church with me and in his heart began to train me up in the ways of the Lord. So I would ask, who has influenced you through music, and the worship of the Lord through song. Ever since I can remember, music was an important role in my life, so one of my favorite practices today is singing with my wife and kids at home each night. We sing the doxology we did this morning before bed as a family, and we're going to do something a little different this morning. Right here, where you're seated, I'd like us to again sing the doxology. The words are here on the screen for us, and if you're given to harmony, this is your time to shine. Right where you are, will you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Every one of our children so far sings that song with us by age two or so. Caroline was the earliest adopter of singing the song with us. Meredith, at just one year old, is clapping her hands even now as we sing that song each evening, mouthing the words, trying to figure out how to speak them. And our small but mighty, strong-willed Felicity 
who for 10 months after she could talk would stubbornly sit and listen, but not sing a word. She just turned three last weekend, and in the last few weeks she's begun to sing loud now every truth, albeit running around with her brother Gideon in circles while we're trying to sing and have family devotions. They're praising God from whom all blessings flow. These little kids have yet to make a personal decision to trust Christ as their Savior, but I will teach them and I will train them in the way that they should go for the sweet words of that song speak to them of their Savior. Why do we sing? Because it proclaims Christ our only hope in life and in death. And I will not stand idle and watch this world of sin swallow up my children, having not prepared them to know and to learn of their heavenly Father in every way possible. I will beg him every day to give my children saving faith and will rejoice from the mountaintops. As the psalmist says, all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For God comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I'm so thankful for the opportunity I have to proclaim the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection through song to my children. And I'm thankful to sing it with you today. Let us rejoice. Amen? Let us hear from the words from Paul, who in chains for the gospel cannot but say, yes, I will rejoice. The church sings, Christ our hope in life and death. Will you stand with me for the reading? Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. <clears throat> what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You may be seated. Verse 18, in every way the church sings. Paul, the author of Philippians here, just spent the last 17 verses of this letter to the people at the church in Philippi, encouraging them on how to live as citizens of heaven here on earth. He's writing from prison, and he greets them. He thanks them for their prayers. 
he begins to share how his imprisonment has means to progress the gospel. In every way, he says, he has the answer. His conclusion on why he does what he does. He's made a resolute choice that Christ will be proclaimed. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. You see, he's less interested in his own pursuits, for he is more preoccupied with Christ's name. Paul is choosing to rejoice when the word is being preached in pretense or in truth. Or more clearly, whether the motive of the preacher is false or true. God's word stands in the face of evil. And even though he faces an unknown future, he says, yes, I will rejoice. And I submit to you this morning that rejoicing through song is just a beautiful way to proclaim the truths of God. There is something that just cannot compare to the singing of those in a local church membership. Those who have covenanted together, now singing worship to the Lord, rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, and making disciples. You see, not not all of us may preach the hope of the gospel and the resurrection here from the pulpit, nor may all of us lead on stage through song or lyric, but all the church sings. I bet you have a few great memories of singing in church growing up, if you stop and think about it for a minute. It's meant to glorify God, and, the power, and it's so powerful when it's done congregationally. And then it therefore begs the question, here at East White Oak Bible Church, do we have a philosophy for our worship? For beyond the ministry of the Word, the two things we primarily do on Sunday mornings here is pray and sing. Pastor Scott has shared this with us before about worship and how we should sing a hallelujah for the work that we have done, there's nothing more important than the worship of our God. It is what we were created to do. And we're going to do it for all of eternity. Worship is a term that almost everyone uses, but almost no one defines. So let's define briefly what worship is and what worship isn't. Worship is not the music portion of the service. While worship should include the music portion of the worship service, all the service is an offering to the Almighty God. Worship is not about our personal emotional enjoyment. While there should be times of personal emotional enjoyment, the goal of worship is to lose ourselves in the focus and attention upon God. Worship is not about singing the songs that I want to sing in the way that I want them sung, Because if we focus then too much upon personal taste as a means of defining godly worship, it's exactly wrong because it puts our taste, not God, on the throne. We'll actually end up worshiping our worship and not worshiping God. Worship is biblical. That is, worship must always be in conformity to the Bible. Like the Gettys here, they studied and read scripture, and then they began to sing it. And we have wide latitude here at what we can sing. But it seems that we should try to use our freedoms in a way that builds theological truths in us. 
You see, it's not wrong to listen to other music, but ask yourself, is what I'm listening to drawing me closer to God, or is it drawing me further away from God? Worship is God-centered, and this means at least that God's name should be invoked. Just like in sermons where we are inspired to personal fulfillment rather than the revelation of who God is, that does not bring us to worship. Songs that simply don't evoke God's names become less worshipful as they become less meaningful. Worship is Christ-centered. If we're to worship as heaven worships, we must hail our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, our songs, our prayers, our sermons ought to herald who Jesus is. Tell about what he has done, tell about what he is doing, tell about what he will do in the future. And in every way, the church sings. We sing as we gather together, not neglecting to meet. We sing as we go on through our days. We sing with our family. We sing in our hearts. And in every circumstance here in Philippians, Paul says, yes, I will rejoice. Verses 19 and 20, the work of the Trinity helps shape our focus in this life. See, one of the last and very most important items that helps us define what worship is is that worship must focus on the Trinity of God. For the Trinity must simply be invoked in our worship singing. Yet most evangelical worship services, we would be hard-pressed to know that we even believe in a God that exists in three persons. And that's not to suggest that the Trinity is being denied. It just means that the Trinity's nature of God isn't being proclaimed as often. It's a horrible condition for the church, and we ought to have an appeal to the Trinity of God at every one of our worship services. Paul says, verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul sees how the Trinity is working in his life, and he appeals to each in his writings. He appeals to the power of the Holy Spirit working within him, through Jesus Christ, the Son, his mediator, and through the will of the Heavenly Father in his life. He believes in the limitless sovereignty of God, and that in his perfect sovereign will, it will include the prayers of the saints. Here specifically, it will require the prayers of the Philippian believers. Paul emphasizes his work of the Trinity in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talked about the armor of God. He went through and listed all these components in Ephesians chapter 6 of the armor, and then in verses 18 and 19 says that we ought to be praying in the Spirit at all times in the Spirit. For with prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, he says, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which Paul says he is an, ambas an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly how he ought to speak. 
This power of the word of God combined with the prayers of the saints and the power of the Holy Spirit will always work for the good of God's people. Even Jesus promised this work of the Trinity in John chapter 14 when he said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit which will be with the believer forever. This Holy Spirit is a gift that came only from the risen Christ as he ascended to heaven. Paul needs the work of the Trinity in his life. As he pens this letter, he is suffering under the unjust rulers of the day, and he's applying what he once assured the believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, when he said again, and we know that, that, that for those whom God loves, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to God's purpose. Philippians 1 verse 19, Paul says this will turn out for his deliverance. To save him and to deliver him. Both a salvation and a deliverance from the bondage of his chains in prison and a salvation and deliverance of his soul on the day of Christ's coming when he establishes his final kingdom where no earthly chain or sword will triumph. Paul's drawing upon the language of Job here, expressing Job's confidence in God to save him. For Job was a man who was stricken with pain and sufferings that we cannot imagine. And he said if he were to appear before God, that God would rule in his favor and uphold his innocence. And Job said, Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in Christ. He appeals to God with hope and says, this will be my salvation. So these are the same very words that Paul uses here in Philippians 1.19 that reads, this will turn out for my deliverance or for my salvation. Paul's joy is bound up with the salvation of his soul and the plan that God has for his life not just in the outcomes of his sufferings. He's not only rejoicing in the possibility of getting out of jail, he's rejoicing in the certainty of his salvation in Christ. Paul's confidence that God will complete the good work of salvation in him, that he mentioned here in verse six of the chapter, is now true concerning his own salvation as well. Paul's assurance of salvation here will be made secure with the help and the prayers of the Philippians as the Holy Spirit works in their hearts as they both appeal through Jesus Christ for the perfection of God's kingdom building and his plan to come. One commentator said that Paul's salvation is a unified work of the triune God. The Father answers the prayers of his people for fresh experiences of the Spirit in Christ Jesus, his Son. Paul says that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here in verse 20, it gives him courage. And we should have courage that in life or in death, we can have hope. So what is one way that we can take these encouraging words of Paul and put them into our memory? I say we should sing. Let us look at the lyrics of this modern hymn by the Gettys, Christ or Hope in Life or Death. 
the hymn writers looked at Paul's words here, and they also looked at the Heidelberg Catechism. And at its very first question, Pastor Scott actually talked about this just a few weeks ago. In 1 Corinthians verse 15, it's worthwhile for you to go back and watch if you weren't here that Sunday. And this Heidelberg Catechism is a question and answer type of tool to help us memorize things of biblical importance. And the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the first line of the answer is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The hymn writers merged this comfort and this hope into the lyrics here. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls belong to him. These are the very words of Paul here in verse 20. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And Paul's saying here, I will not be ashamed. I will not let this life stifle my joy. I will proclaim the Lord's salvation no matter the circumstance. Paul knows the power of his God. Who holds our days within his hand? What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. I read from Psalm 96 this morning, you know, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Who holds our days within his hands? I believe the work of the Trinity helps shape our focus in this life. And here at East White Oak Bible Church, as we're seeking to be worshipers, maturing in Christ, by the help of God our Father, through his Son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that indwells us, we can have confidence. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the words of the Lord will last forever. The love of Christ in which we stand. Let us praise the Lord for the many that continue to write lyrics based on God's word that the church may sing them anew. Verses 21 through 24 here. What we live for shapes whose kingdom building we are singing, seeking. If Christ allowed Paul to live, it would mean further fruitful labor under the lordship of Christ. But if Christ chose death for Paul, he could depart and he could be with Christ and his worldly suffering would end. Death would bring greater gain because it would result of more in Christ. But Paul sees the needs of the Philippians, and he sees that remaining in the flesh is more necessary for their good. Because this is him seeking the kingdom building of God and not his own. What trouble must have Paul had in his mind? What fears and trials was he going through? If you remember the story of my dad I shared with you this morning, standing in church to sing, I wondered what his fears and trials he must have had in his soul. And we look at Paul and his trials. What trials and fears must we have going on in our souls? 
Where will Paul turn? Where will we turn? And when we do, will we speak the words of the Lord? Would you sing the words of the Lord? He has paid the price. He has won the battle. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where in his grace and goodness known in our great Redeemer's blood? Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? See, whenever we sing as Christians, our primary duty is to bless the Lord through worship. It's not a suggestion, it's an imperative. The church sings. We must sing to the Lord, if not from our mouths, then from our soul. And to quote the 2003 masterpiece blockbuster movie, Elf. Buddy the Elf says that singing is just like talking, just louder and longer, and you move your voice up and down. Singing is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. The longest book is a book of songs. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. One of the many things we will do in all of eternity is sing and worship to our God. The creator God commands us to sing of his truth and his beauty. Why? I think he likes it. Right where you are with, this, with me this morning, I'd ask, would you sling with me where you're seated right now? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my Surely God delights in the singing of his redeemed people. This singing is an act of worship. Preaching and praying and communion, they're all acts of worship. But singing is even a work of discipleship in our lives. Telling of his resurrection from day to day. Singing helps shape our thinking. The more we sing truth, the more it shapes us. And this is why we sing songs that teach truth from the Bible, saturated in its themes. The church sings in moments of being in need, of being reminded of God's love. Will you sing with me? The church sings. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all 
in moments of fear, not knowing on what we should stand, we remember a mighty fortress is our God. The church sings, a mighty fortress is our moments of forgetfulness, being reminded of God's faithfulness and how he has provided for us. The church sings, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy Remember, what we live for shapes whose kingdom building we are seeking. Teach the hymns of faith to your family. Sing them to and with your spouse and your kids and your grandkids. Sing them to your neighbors. What better time than Christmas time can we openly go up to our neighbor's door and knock and sing Christmas carols to them? Singing of God's glory and saving grace. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and earth, mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. What songs echo the rooms of your homes? For the practice of family worship must not fall out of practice. Call your family together. Read scripture. Sing in prayer. Pray. Declare God's word throughout the singing to the nations as we evangelize to them. I think we have some work to do. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. God-ordained gospel work is ahead for you and for me. Spirit-empowered, fruitful labor. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 23 here, Paul is pressed between the two. He doesn't know, literally meaning being held together, pressed, squished like a piece of wood in a press, hemmed in from both sides as if he were heading down a narrow road. The same phrase used by Jesus in Luke 8:42 when someone reached out and touched him. He says, "Who touched me?" And they all denied it and Peter said, "Master, the crowds surround you. They're pressing in on you." Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. On the one side, Paul desires to depart and to be with Christ. And then the other, verse 24, to stay and to continue offering direction and church leadership. Paul would gladly postpone his heavenly blessings for the sake of serving his earthly saints. And what is one of the things that Paul does in times of trial and imprisonment? 
Acts chapter 16, in the inner prison, having their feet fastened and shackled in the stocks at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Paul lived for and chose to continue to live in a life of trial. What we live for shapes whose kingdom building we're seeking. There is only one thing that can transform how we live each day, and that's the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We should sing a hallelujah for the hope of the resurrection. And my question for you today then is, what are you living for? And has God placed a song in your heart to worship him? These last two verses, as God's own emissary, we glory in Christ in word or deed. Because Paul is convinced that he is a working part of God's plan for the Philippians. And he knows that Christ will choose for him to remain and continue with you all for the progress of the joy in their faith. Paul continues to embrace his central concern in the whole section here, the progress of the gospel. Paul prefers to continue on earth so that when the Philippians see him again, they'll have a reason to boast. A joyful reunion would have given the Philippians a reason for boasting in Christ. For Christ, Jesus in me is the boasting. Because don't be confused, Paul doesn't want himself to be full of pride. He cautioned in Corinthians chapter 3, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all of these things are yours, God. They are you in Christ, and Christ's in God. Paul is being used and chosen by God just like you are being chosen today to be God's own emissary. An emissary is a person that's on a special mission, a spiritual diplomatic representative, an ambassador to go and tell of coming news. As a kid, we used to sing this song at our missions conference. It was, be a missionary every day. Tell the Lord that Jesus, tell the world that Jesus is the way. Be it in a town or country or a busy avenue, Africa or Asia, the task is up to you. So, be a missionary every day. Tell the world that Jesus is the way. The Lord is soon returning. There is no time to lose. Be a missionary. God's own emissary. Be a missionary today. Paul understood this mission, and he was ready to be God's own emissary, giving glory in Christ in word or in deed. Nothing could steal Paul's joy. Nothing could keep him from seeking God's kingdom building, and nothing should keep us from abounding in the work of the Lord as we toil not in vain. What can we do? The church sings a hallelujah for the hope of the resurrection. And I think Paul would sing with us today, Christ our hope in life and death. Unto the grave what shall we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, 
Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. The only thing that can transform how we live each day and prepare for our earthly life to end is the truth that Christ has been raised from the dead. The church sings a hallelujah for the hope of the resurrection. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that you bring to mind areas of our lives that we have hope. We ask that you bring to mind areas in our lives that we feel hopeless. Give us a song to sing from Scripture to remind us of your strength and your power. Help us respond to the gospel in word and in deed. Help us find joy in our sufferings and place our eternal trust in the death burial and resurrection in Christ alone who has paid the penalty for our sins and made an eternal home for us with him in heaven. Lord, challenge us to bring worship into our homes through singing, through the reading of God's word and through prayer and use us as a blessing to others, sharing our testimony as God's own emissaries. For you alone are our hope in life and death. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.